a radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes Scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. I, I like how he ran in the room thinking that you accidentally articulated baptism incorrectly. Like, wait a minute, you're mistaken. He said to me, he said, you sound like a heretic. Right, yeah. It wasn't like, boy, they must be playing a game where they're articulating someone else's belief. It was, I think Pastor Wolfmiller is off his rocker. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little bit disturbed that you think that I would actually teach that about baptism, Pastor Fleming. And it's so, 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 so deserved to be crunched. I mean, mega crunch. So, uh, if you guys would put the mega, mega crunch. crunch on the song, that would be awesome. <laughs> Keep uh, preaching the word, pastors. Keep it mediocre. Mediocre and hilarious. You know, I don't know how many podcasts are out there. There's a lot of them, and a lot of them come Lots. and go. You know, people, oh, yes. People get the itch to do a podcast. And, they rise and fall. Yeah, and some don't. Some just, even though they should. <laughs> They just stick around. They 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 yes. won't go away. They're, would it be a worthy analogy to say that Table Talk Radio is like the the cockroach of pos, of can't get it? It will not it go away. That's it, right. Try to blow it up. <laughs> it just doesn't work. Good analogy. All right. Well, it's not very pithy <laughs> for opening line. You have to explain your opening. That's good. You know, you're looking around. You're looking around the studio. You're like, what example? Oh, there's a cockroach. Is that how? <laughs> that's, that's, that's exactly what happened. Yeah. I'm busy reading about this guy called Ariskithathon. Skithathon. Have you ever heard of this guy? Never. He was mentioned yesterday by the uh, Ben Shapiro. I was listening to Ben Shapiro, and he was talking about this ancient myth, and I thought oh, I should look that up. I thought. I you know Table Talk Radio is a good time to do my research. Yep. He was a Thessalian king who chopped down the sacred grove of the goddess Demeter in order to build himself a feast hall. And as punishment for the crime, the goddess inflicted him with insatiable hunger. So he couldn't, no matter how much he ate, he could never be satisfied. So he ate and he ate and he ate. He spent all his money. He spent all his, his wealth. He sold his daughter. Finally, after nothing was left, he ate himself to Whoa. try to satisfy his own hunger. Whoa. This is this myth, yeah. It's kind of, it reminds me of Revelation 17, where the, uh, you know, the beginning of the chapter, the prostitute and the beast are writing to attack the church, and by the end, the beast is devouring the prostitute. But this idea of self-devouring by this, by when we're governed by lust, we destroy ourselves. That's the... Anyway, that's what I'm reading here. It's nice. It's a. It's really a comedy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sounds great. Uh, why don't you give us your buzzword for today? All right. How about this? Conscience. You know, we're going to talk about the conscience. I I think because I've I got a theory I want to run by you and our listener. So, and it has to do with this inner argument that everybody has and the direction that the argument comes from. Okay. Two different directions. But the point is that everybody has a Argument happening inside of the that little courtroom that's in our own heart, we call the conscience. It's there to judge uh, what happens to us, what we do, etc. Conscience. Nice. All right. Uh, my uh, theological buzzword for you is witness. Now, uh, oh. the the Greek word is martyrion, which is the word where we get martyr. 
Uh, but here, this is this is a wonderful idea. You know, when we think of the word witness in a Christian vocabulary today in our modern era, we think like, "Can I get a witness?" <laughs> you know, it's a, not quite the same. Uh, but when you when you link it to this idea of a martyr, that that one who um, is being killed for the faith has witnessed or is giving witness to the truth of Christ, the truth of God's word. Um, sorry about my phone ringing. So, um, so here who is we, it? <laughs> well, live caller here. Um, so, so, so when one gives up their life for the truth, they're giving, they're laying a witness or giving a witness to the the truth of God's word. Uh, so, it's not this. Uh, can I get a witness? It, it's that I am testifying to this truth of God's word even unto death. And I think maybe we'll talk about that a little bit later. Well, that's right. We will. Okay. Well, so I, I'm interested in this. Well, um, Lord willing. <laughs> interested in this. Okay, topic so I got a have. theory. My yeah. theory is that everybody feels persecuted. Yeah. And the Christian feels persecuted, but the secular progressive also feels persecuted. And I've been noodling on that for a little bit, and I came to some clarity, I think, on it today or this morning when I was—maybe yesterday, I don't remember. Anyway, I think about why it is that that we feel persecuted. Now, here's—so um, if you can—so we, we know this from the Christian perspective. We see the world falling apart. We see, you know, critical race theory being taught in the schools. We see the progressive sort of march of history and this Hegelian idea that— once you get to a point, you can never go back. Uh, <clears throat> so we see the we see the sexual revolution standing up against the uh, Christian understanding of marriage and the family, and we see the trouble that's being brought on the Christians. So all we we see all of these things, and and we're like, well, you know, this is how it goes. The church is always the persecuted minority. We always stand. Um, against the culture, and the culture is always trying to give us trouble, and we and we understand that. But the the culture, or let's just take the progressive side of culture, feels the exact opposite. They feel the pressure coming from the moral majority, from the Christian right, which is always trying to coerce them <clears throat> into living according to our standard and picture of what it means to be right and good, and we're trying to always force our morality on them. So you take a, a like I was reading in MSNBC this morning on the Texas abortion law, which takes effect today, the fetal heart bill, uh, fetal heartbeat bill, which bans abortion when there's any detectable heartbeat. And this is understood as persecution for the progressive left and a denying of the, as someone said, the constitutional right of abortion to women and so forth and so on. And so I was just wondering about how it is that you have like two people in a room and both of them both persecuted. feel persecuted by the other one. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, well, wait, it seems like one would be the persecutor and the other would be the persecuted. Why is it that both people can be standing there and... So there's a deep... There's a mystery in that, and I, I want to just explore it a little bit more. But that's the setup. Okay. Well, um, I want to kick that around a little bit. So um, it, it may be that our understanding of persecution has changed. You know, um, 
you, you probably get this all the time, Pastor, that people will see events in the news and they'll say, boy, does this mean, you know, the world is coming to an end? You know, and, and one of the kind of things I always remind people is, you know, maybe, maybe not, who knows, but, but, you know, if we would have lived in a different time in history and maybe a different part of the world and saw the kind of suffering that was coming to Christians, and then we were to ask the question, looking at the events today, does this mean Christ is coming back? We would think it's pretty good now, you know, life is pretty easy, um, I mean, if, if we were watching people being, you know, burned at the stake or being boiled alive uh, or or whatever, that's when we'd be thinking, okay, this is this has got to be close to the end. Um, and so maybe our our view of persecution has changed. That uh, we're not, at least uh, I'm speaking now of our American context. At least we're not seeing people burned at the stake. We're seeing people lose their jobs. We're seeing people, you know, lose their livelihoods potentially. Um, People being uh, ridiculed and mocked, and those are those. I'm I'm not making light of any of those things, but it's not the same as being hung at the gallows. And so, when we have understood persecution to be things being taken away from me that I like, uh, which maybe not be true, but it, it it can give room for two people in the same room to both be thinking they're being persecuted. But if we're if if people are being burned at the stake. There's no question who the persecutor and the persecuted is. Mm-hmm. I think that's true. Although, although when you talk to the Christians that are in other countries that are being persecuted, mm-hmm. and you think, you know, how could we compare our suffering to the suffering like of the Christians in Afghanistan right now, yeah. which is horrendous and about to get horrendous quick? Mm-hmm. And we're like, look, you know, we get, well, you get a HR complaint for not using the pronouns or whatever, but they also lose their heads. Yeah. But I think those Christians in F, they're go in the U.S. and and they're saying, ugh, this is, if if we don't have the United States, we don't have any allies anywhere, because it there's like a, the hope of some sort of safety for the Christian confession. And that gets lost, too. So they're worried about how things are going over here as well. Yeah. And uh, we should say that a lot lot of those in other countries looking at the U.S. are saying, look, there's warning signs everywhere this is coming to you. Why don't you Americans see them? All right. We'll be right back. Mm -hmm. Right. Table Talk Radio, unscripted, unprepared, unashamed. The daily Bible meditation blog is at rightlydividedbible.wordpress.com, where three chapters of the Bible are considered each day. Check it out. You know, right before the break, yep. we were talking about how I think people in other countries look at the United States, and particularly those who have lived through some kind of uh, oppressive totalitarian government look at indicators going on in the United States, and they say, hey, uh, wake up. Uh, you know, you guys don't even realize what's going on, and you're not doing anything about it. Um, you know, and I, I think... Uh, 
I don't know if it opened my eyes to it, but something that I heard recently that made me think about it more was an interview that uh, Todd Wilkin did over. You know that Todd Wilkin over there at Issues, etc. He did. I've heard of it. He did an interview. Um, I th- I think it was Rod Dreher, but I, I, I'm not sure about that. But it was about a soft totalitarianism, and uh, mm-hmm. he was talking about how, um, you know, normally a t- totalitarian government is just completely by by use of force, coercion, rule of the fist, oppressing the people. Uh, but he says what we're seeing now is more of a soft totalitarianism that they're taking away or robbing you of your certain luxuries that you like. Um, so they're, they're maybe manipulating you to, to, uh, to conform a certain way in order to keep the things that you like in life. So he used an example, um, like in China, I, I guess, according to him, he, there's, a, like, there's like a social rating so if you do things that the Communist Party likes, then you'll get a positive social rating. And if you do things that the Communist Party doesn't like, you'll get a negative social rating. So like if you're going to church, <laughs> then you'll get a negative social rating. If you're listening mm-hmm. to the, the party's speeches, then you'll get a positive rating. And then when it comes to it comes down to getting into the good schools, getting good jobs, then it looks at what your social rating is. And so... Mm-hmm. Um, he was commenting how a lot of that is in place technologically; it's just not being utilized in our in our circles in our in our, in our country. So, yeah. I you know, there's this there's this uh, topic that I've heard come up several times recently about uh, these these two classic books, uh, 1984 by uh, Orwell, and then the Brave New World by Huxley. And uh, people have have kind of thought, well, are we living more of in a, in a 1984? Are we living in a brave new world? And uh, I I had you know I, I'm familiar with those books. I I kind of know the the premise behind them, but I'd never actually read them. So recently, I, I took up those those works, and um, it's an interesting thing. You, you want you, you want to hear a little bit about those 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 works? Have you yes. read those books? Uh, Maybe a yes. long time ago, but in in high school, yeah. Yeah, so so if if it's not something that's fresh in your mind, but so the world that 1984 uh, paints is one that the government is completely um, intervening and oppressing the people, and I think some of the takeaways in that book is how they are using uh, language to manipulate the truth, so that um, you know the, the the main character works for like the I think it's called the Ministry of Truth, which is what Facebook is mm-hmm. by the way, the Ministry of Truth. <laughs> Um, and so his job is to read these newspaper articles, and if there is an inaccuracy according to how the party sees it, then he will correct that inaccuracy. And he's to use a, a particular dictionary in order to, to do that. And what they're doing is slowly removing words out of the vocabulary, because if you can change the vocabulary, then you can change people's thought. Like if you take away mm-hmm. words from their diction, then they can't possibly think things that they don't have words for. And mm-hmm. so, you know, you see the manipulation of the of, of facts, of the truth, of history, and that's the way that it's it's sort of um, carried along. Um, you know, so so the kind of the main scene in the in the story is at the end where the main character is is sort of being questioned by uh, a party member who um, he thought he could trust he couldn't, and, he, and, he, and he was wrong. And he's he's saying, you know, how many how many fingers do I have up? And he says four. But what if the party says that it's five? How many fingers are there? He says, well, there's still four. And then he, then he gets tortured. Well, now how many fingers are there? 
four, and he gets tortured again. And then now how many? He goes, okay, five, however many you like, whatever, <laughs> you know? And, and so that's mm-hmm. maybe the example of the 1984 world where you're being, you're being tortured into um, of believing a truth that's been set forth for you, regardless of what an objective truth might be. Um, Brave New World, on the other hand, is a world where they have been able to get rid of all um, inconveniences, all suffering. So, you know, uh, procreation does not happen naturally. It happens uh, sort of in a lab. They've been able to genetically engineer everybody so that we've done away with most diseases. And one of the big things in in this is that there's... um, something that people can take whenever they're feeling sad or starting to suffer uh that they they can almost like a like a drug or something that that re- relieves them of that sadness and suffering so just picture a world where we can not have to ever worry about being sad or suffering anymore we can just take a quick hit of this thing and not not be sad anymore and so it's a futuristic world where they've perfected they've sterilized everything and uh and everything, everything is just based on pleasure. And so there's a, there's a scene where they go to see the people who have not adopted this, this new world, and they call them the savages. So they visit them kind of like, like you'd go to the zoo or something like that. They go, they go to the reservation. And, and, and they're, they're doing things like um, you know, having children and having lifelong marriage. And they just kind of see this as grotesque and archaic, and they don't even understand why you would even commit yourself to one person for your entire life. Um, so there's a, there's a scene at the end where, where who they call Mr. Savage <laughs> um, wants to free the people by, by taking away this, uh, this, this suffering, numbing drug, which he called uh, Soma. They wanna, he wants to take that away and free them. And they said, "Well, we don't we don't want that to be taken away." Uh, so he sees this as the thing that 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 uh, that uh, uh, enslaves them, and and they would prefer to be enslaved to not have to deal with things like suffering. And so Mr. Savage is saying, "But but we have to have suffering. We have to have pain. We have to have sin. We have to have all of these things um, so that we can be free." Um, so that's, that's those are the kind of two parallels. Uh, so it's interesting, you know. One, I, I think that people, when people try to compare it to the life that that we're living in now. There's there's certainly aspects of both. Um, I don't think it's as totalitarian as 1984, but some of the aspects of which that that party tried to control the people seems to be in play. Uh, things like changing facts, uh, things not being necessarily objectively true censoring what is true. Um, but one thing that is not uh, true in 1984 um, as to our, our modern day was that um, they they really wanted to just get rid of the use of, you know, sex at all. Like they, that just had no good function. And I think that's where our current society is more like Brave New World, where it becomes this um, temporary recreational activity for the sake of pleasure that you should engage in it whenever you want with whomever you want for any short-term period, but never any long-term commitment. And and that is where I think we can be similar like Brave New World, where we're just kind of drunk on pleasure constantly that we don't even realize what's going on around us. Mm-hmm. So so those yeah, are kind of the... Well, that's interesting. That's, so that's... So, um, 
that's nice to do that as a just as a thought experiment because you are right it's like which way are we headed and it's, it's some sort of wild mix of both but the, and and so the christian is looking at this and saying but neither one of no matter what direction you're going you're going away from the institutions right yeah i mean in both places there's no gospel in in both places there's no preaching of the death of jesus and in both places there's really no family either right correct yeah that that is a that is a common theme between the to the both of them that they both get rid of the family so the devil's fighting against these things so so we okay so we feel it but it's it's just very interesting to me that that we're not the only ones who feel persecution. Okay, so let me I pull let me pull up this article. There's now called the myth of Christian persecution. Hmm. Have we talked about that? Mm-mm. I found an article about it in Huff Post. This is articles back from 2013. Old picture. Hmm. Yeah, I'll just read you a little bit. Christians of all denominations maintain that the early church was widely persecuted. They state that in the first few centuries after the death of the Messiah, Christians were hunted, tortured, and killed just for following Christ. This persecution is believed to have begun with the deaths of Stephen, the apostles, and then the Christians persecuted under a long succession of cruel and vindictive Roman emperors. This history of early Christianity establishes Christianity as a religion of innocent sufferers, as a church beleaguered and under attack, In periods of crisis or perceived crisis, Christians of all stripes have returned to this stereotype of the early church in order to find themselves and understand their experiences. This is true even today. During the debate over the HHS mandate last year, a Catholic bishop said that President Obama was attacking Christians just like the Roman emperors Hitler and Stalin had. In August 2011, Republican presidential candidate Rick Santorum publicly complained that the gay community had gone out on on a jihad against him. In the course of the last election, similar statements were made by Mitt Romney, Rush Limbaugh, Glenn Beck, and Bill O'Reilly, to name a few. This is not just a case of Election Day banter, political nastiness. Just recently, Fox News host Todd Starnes accused NBC of persecuting Christians because of a skit that had aired on Saturday Night Live. The accusation may appear flimsy, but the advertising boycott of NBC that resulted was not. The rhetorical power of persecution language is very real. Hmm. Then, uh, let me get to the kind of the jabbed to the throat here. Intriguingly, when we look at the ancient evidence for treatment of early Christians, it is a very different picture that emerges. The vast majority of our ancient sources for a persecution in the first century were written in the second century and beyond. The stories about the deaths of the apostles, for instance, were written as late as a hundred years after and modeled on fanciful on a fanciful genre of ancient romance novels. Even the earliest, most ostensibly trustworthy martyrdom stories have been edited and reworked. The authors of these accounts borrowed from ancient mythology, changed the details of events that make the martyrs appear more like Jesus, and made the Roman antagonist increasingly venomous, Uh, so forth and so on. So the idea is, this idea of the Christians as persecuted, this is a myth. Okay, let's uh, let's, uh, take that up on the other side of this break, because it sounds like, well, everyone thinks they're persecuted, as you've been saying. So is it really something that is true Mm -hmm. for Christians, or is it just that everyone... Everyone's getting a hard time. We'll be right back. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. Listeners of this show are persecuted by visiting. Table Talk Radio. Well, we think we're funny. 
So I've kicked up the Wolfmuller One YouTube channel, and I was talking to Daniel, my expert YouTube advisor, about it, who said, Dad, your stuff is really bad. I know, Daniel, I know. But look, I have 4,006 uh, for watch time, and to monetize on YouTube, you got to have 4,000 hours. And I, I look, I said, look, 4,006. And Daniel says, Dad, you have 4,006 minutes, not hours. <laughs> anyway, if you want to see what we're up to over on YouTube, you can visit YouTube, search for Wolfmuller. Wolfmuller1 is the channel name. See you there. All right, welcome back to Table Talk Radio. Okay, so you re- we brought forward this this older article about um, you know basically everyone's persecuted, so persecution is not real. Uh, what are your initial thoughts about it? Well, well so they, what they want to argue then is Christian persecution is a myth, but it is a dangerous myth because number one, it it perpetuates the idea that the Christians are the persecuted minority, and then number two, it lets Christians justify their oppressive actions towards people who truly are persecuted. So now you go to the flip side. Just maybe go back 10 years ago and think of the guy who was who considered himself to be gay. And uh and he would and you asked him, "Well, how what is this like?" He says, "Well, look, I'm I'm part of a minority. I'm oppressed by my family, by the culture. I uh I'm I really am an outcast and I'm being persecuted." in this way and i'm being persecuted by christians or by the christian morality who says that marriage can only be a man and a woman etc etc so the persecution is on the other side as well and if you just were to look at the reality externally you could see some truth in both but the internal experience of people of the christian and of the of the let's say the progressive left let's just to, to, as a placeholder now the internal experience is much more extreme than what we might look at on the outside and the reaction is much more extreme okay so here's my theory my theory is that that there is an internal voice that amplifies the external opposition but it's different for the christian than it is for the unbeliever hmm. so that let's start with the christian the Christian has, in, in so, and maybe I'll put it like this to sharpen it, is to say that each, every person has a traitor on the inside that's arguing against them. For the Christian, that traitor is their own sinful flesh. In other words, in other words, when I as a Christian want to do the right thing, I want to keep God's law, I want to serve him and all this, I find in myself a traitor, my sinful flesh, that's trying to tempt me away from from the Lord and his ways. So so when I want, for example, to be chaste, I see the world tempting me to unchastity, hmm. and I find that the world has an ally even inside of me that's also arguing for unchastity. When I want to be compassionate, I find in the world an ally with my sinful flesh that wants to be angry. When I want to be generous as a Christian, I find in the world the temptation to greed, and I find an ally in my own flesh, so that my sinful flesh amplifies the temptations of the world and the troubles that the world brings to us. Hmm. So that 
the 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 opposition of the world to my Christian faith is amplified by my own flesh. Okay. But there's something that happens on the other side as well. And and so let me lay this one. If the, well, you want to react to that too? No, I don't. I, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in applying that to the other side. So go ahead. So, so on the other side, though, the, the progressivists, this, we're, what we're calling them, also finds a traitor in their own flesh, which is the conscience, <laughs> which is the internal sense of right and wrong uh the the internal moral code that god has built into this world and so when just to take the fellow who was uh wanted to be uh homosexual that we were talking about earlier when when the church or their family or whatever says hey no you should probably be a husband to a wife instead of a husband to a husband or whatever that that is amplified by their own conscience and that the ferocity that's spoken externally to them becomes 10 times amplified in their own internal conversation because of the law written on their own heart. So that while temptation coming from the outside is amplified by the flesh, uh, the commands of God from the outside are amplified by the moral law on the conscience. And so both people are hearing the counter-argument inside louder than it is on the, on the outside. That's very interesting. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think you're making an interesting theological point here, and that is, all, again, all about the conscience. So, um, you know, there's, a, there's an internal struggle for the Christian against what again, the sinful flesh would want. And so when uh, a person is striving to live according to the new creation and then is met with resistance, then, then yeah, here's this, here's this persecution. Um, I'd, I'd hate to throw another component to the mix lest it be just a distraction, but I also kind of wonder where our proclivity towards just claiming victimhood status plays in here too. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, so I, I, uh, I went into Walmart and being the dummy that I am did the self checkout and I didn't realize that I got charged twice for one ink cartridge. So I get home you and know, and I was oof, in, a, I was like 130 bucks. <laughs> I know. Right. So, uh, I was, I hit I hit a Walmart that was f- further away from me because I was I was going after an appointment and and uh, I was hoping I could just bring the receipt into my closest Walmart so I didn't have to make such a long drive and she said no I'm sorry you have to go to the store because it would throw off their inventory and I wanted to be like what do you just hate Christians is it because you know I'm 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 white is it because you know and so <laughs> we we have the tendency to have this sort of demand and when we're not when when we're so something is happening to us. We like to, I think, and this is just maybe a sinful flesh thing. We like to say that we're being excluded because of some kind of, you know, uh, vi- we're a victim. And how mm-hmm. how does, if at all, the the victimhood proclivity fit into the discussion of persecution? Yeah, it's so. That's right. So we all, in some ways, want to be the martyrs. So we, so, so these trouble, it's a, it's a, 
I suppose it's this, in some ways, this is, that's a general form of the very specific thing that I'm thinking about, but there's a, there's a way that um, we either amplify or minimize the things that are happening to us, and that this mm-hmm. happens in the conscience. So Paul talks about the excusing or accusing, and the conscience is this amplifier in that way. So if something bad happens to us, we will we'll amplify that. If something good happens, we will minimize it. Even And even with our own sins. So we have this tendency to minimize our own sins and to maximize the sins committed against us. I realize that this, I mean, there's some time ago, I, I had spent a morning talking bad about someone. It was one of these political conversations, you know, where you're just talking bad about the guy that you're against. And uh, I'd spent the whole morning bad about someone and then i heard that someone had said something bad about me and i was like what i was so offended and everything and i realized you know i'd spent hours spending my whole morning talking bad about somebody else but one moment of hearing that someone spoke poorly about me and my conscience goes so you you, we minimize our own sin and we maximize the sins committed against us Mm -hmm. and that's a bad posture for the for the conscience to be in but it's sort of because because we are sinners, we are misusing our conscience in work of self-justification, and so it gets thrown off in this in this way. Yeah, yeah. Um, hmm. Now, this is not—I don't want to agree with the idea of Christian persecution. Uh, uh, I mean, with the idea of the myth of Christian persecution, I've been studying a lot right. of the martyrs. And, sure. And the way—and the, the sort of— the trajectory of the world today, that's probably the thing that's most concerning is mm-hmm. maybe not where things are, but where things are going, you know, so we can see if the Lord doesn't uh, sort of steer the ship in a different direction, we can kind of see that things are headed in a bad way. And th- it's good to have that realization and to understand that reality, but it's also good to understand the flip side so so that the world feels persecuted by the Christians and is lashing out in 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 that way and in some of the in some ways you get uh, uh, a a kind of false persecution complex Mm -hmm. you guys feel like you're you're being persecuted but you're really persecuting us so we're gonna push back and actually persecute you (laughs) Mm -hmm. so that it becomes this sort of self-fulfilling prophecy I mean so I, I, a verse that I always go to, let me know if you think this is uh, properly applied, is, um, you know, Jesus telling us to be wise as serpents, innocent as doves, um, so that we we can sometimes as Christians develop this persecution complex where, where, where we see everything as this great persecution, when really it was just, you know, how things go, you know, so that we should be at all times willing to be persecuted, in fact, in honor to be persecuted for our Lord, and yet not p- positioning ourselves in a way that we're um, somehow making ourselves a martyr. Um, so, like, one maybe maybe after this break, we could uh, talk about the vaccines and all this stuff that's going on about uh, people getting fired and whatnot. But um, you know, there's there's a place for a religious exemption there. But you know, if if that's denied or I get fired. Is it because I'm a Christian, or is it just because my employer doesn't want to have a religious exemption tolerance? You know, you could be a Muslim for all that matter, and he and the employer just still doesn't mm-hmm. want to honor the vaccine. Doesn't necessarily mean I'm being persecuted as a Christian. 
Right. So that that yeah, the particular shape of persecution. Let's dig into that because there's a lot to say there too. Okay. Well, we have one more segment after this break. We're talking about uh, persecution today, and uh, uh, after this break, we'll talk about maybe a little bit about the vaccines and the mandates and people being fired and all of that. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. This is Table Talk Radio. You have been warned. I'm reading Luther's sermons from the House Postal every week. You can find it at www.hope-aurora.org. Click on the Luther Sermon Podcast. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. All right, Pastor, before the break, we were talking about the particular shape of persecution. What are your thoughts on that? I think that, you know, we want to be persecuted like the good old martyrs who got <laughs> persecuted for saying Jesus is the Lord. Mm-hmm. And now we have to be persecuted for saying uh, a man is a man. <laughs> right. That's there. I was, we were talking about this uh, in we had the sermon a couple of weeks ago on wives submit to your husbands. And I said, you know, 20 years ago, the word that everyone was offended by was the word submit. But now the word everyone is offended by is wife. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you to say? Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. So we have the peculiar shape of persecution that comes to us as Christians is a first article persecution, a creation order persecution, an undoing of Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and those great distinctions that are made between the creature and the creator between man and woman, between God, uh, between uh, humanity and the rest of creation, the dominion thing, the distinction the, and the gifts of marriage and family and sexuality, all those Genesis 1, 2, and 3 things are, are under attack now by our particular shape of our culture. And so persecution, it is less, I mean, maybe it's not, it, yeah, well, I, I think it's less theological then we would hope. I mean, we don't get to get into the into the heresies of the second article. What does it mean that Jesus is a man dying in our place? Rather, mm. it's like, what is a man to begin with? That's the persecution. Which is why, you, so you were talking about vaccines. I think this is a really interesting thing to consider as well, to, th- to think what, so what does this all mean that the the government wants to mandate a, a particular vaccine? I, I want to hear your thoughts about it, too, because the government's been mandating vaccines for a long time, mm-hmm. right? So um, what's different here? And what I was curious about, I was watching the news last night. I don't know how I got NBC on that, because we don't get cable. Anyway, somehow they're pumping the news in there. And it was talking about... It was all these stories about the hurt that is caused by people not getting the vaccination. And I, it was, um, and, and someone came on and made the argument that they didn't want to get a vaccine. And the argument was, this is my body, it's my choice. <laughs> and I thought, how do they not agree with that? Yeah. Like, I, that, I, that seems like the whole logic of everything we've been hearing for the last 50 right. years. Right. That's very fascinating. Anyway. Um, well, uh, I want to before we go to talk about vaccines. Um, I, I thought something you said was interesting that you know the good old days we were persecuted for saying Jesus is Lord. 
Um, and I, it seems like in our culture, so persecution comes at the desire to silence the truth or to compel, coerce someone to to speak uh, un, untruth. <laughs> um, so, so, so stop preaching Jesus is Lord or we'll arrest you, throw you in prison. Uh, in our culture, it was easy to get rid of that just by spiritual plural, pluralism. So yeah, the crazy Christians can go over there and say Jesus is Lord if they want to, but just you know, leave them in their building and they can do whatever they want. Um, and so it, it, it sort of forced the hand to go to first article matters. So um, it was it was one thing, you know, it was easy to be pluralistic when someone's talking about their religious beliefs. But then the, the but then what's challenged is is a man a man is a woman a woman or is marriage a man and a woman, and now it's the it's the coercion to to deny those truths. So so w- w- when you've won the the pluralism of the metaphysical, it goes to uh, asserting the pluralism of the physical. Well. You should just believe. You can believe what you want about man and woman. And I'll believe what I want about man and woman, and we can all get along. But the the Christians say, I, I can't do that. You know, I mean, it's it. I can't. I can't. And it, it goes back to 1984. You know, he said in in uh, in that book, the freedom is to be able to say two plus two equals four, because <laughs> otherwise he'd be forced to say something else. Now about vaccines. I mean, this 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 one's interesting. Um, so. We were talking here about religious exemption. So, by you know what, what what religious reason religious reason would there be for not taking a vaccine? Um, and here's the thing about this. I mean, as far as religious ex- exemptions go, they're supposed to be individualistic. In other words, if I'm a Missouri Synod Lutheran, I just shouldn't. I, I don't necessarily have to prove. That the that my denomination, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, has a stance against this particular issue, um, a religious exemption, at least from a legal perspective, is supposed to be for the individual's religious uh, beliefs. Um, but that said, I mean, um, you know, people have brought up the matters of how um, research was done to bring about certain vaccines with aborted fetuses uh, or uh, aborted stem cells, at least. Um, that's maybe the primary religious concern. Uh, that doesn't include all the vaccines, though. Um, I go ahead. I, I think that the main concern. So there is a. So this has to do with the persecution idea too, and there's a general mistrust mm-hmm. of the, the of the minority for the majority, and so you saw that there was a ton of vaccine hesitancy in the left when president trump was president like mm-hmm. um speaker that nancy pelosi said no i'm not going to get the vaccine that trump says i should get and then when the the one in charge changed when joe biden was elected now the vaccine hesitancy switches to the right mm-hmm. so there's a and there is a mistrust of the of the minority especially so the conservative in the united states mistrust the mainstream media kind of all along but um mistrusts all of these the people who claim to be experts and so so there's a real kind of epistemological challenge here is how do you trust what information 
Now, I was thinking about this, so I told the vicar the other day, I said, look, you are not, you're a pastor, or you're a vicar, you're, you're standing in the, you're publicly in the Lord's church, you're preparing to be a pastor, so you do not have the authority, or you do not have the office of putting out your opinion. So you can't, your opinions about what the mm-hmm. vaccine, if it's good or bad or whatever, you don't, you don't have the authority to, to mm-hmm. have those anymore because you, you're speaking on behalf of the Lord. So someone was, was busting my chops a little bit this last Sunday because I won't say anything about the vaccines. And, and I said, look, I got to be a pastor to the people who think it's the mark of the beast and to the people who think it's the salvation of humanity. Mm-hmm. So I don't have the option of, you know cutting people off over the things that the Lord hasn't spoken of. Right. Uh, I think. But, but. So the but, question then becomes the matter of coercion yeah, and information. Exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. I mean, so, so I, I think, you know, people can do their own research or whatever, due diligence, whatever. Um, but I think what we can stay, say is, does the government have a role in requiring or, uh, or forcing uh, medications being injected into people's bodies, um, particularly, I mean, particularly ones that are in the experimental stage. Um, that that <laughs> that seems to <laughs> cross a line. <laughs> yeah, it's like you want me to do what? <laughs> so, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I I agree with you. Um, it, it, what's difficult about being a pastor is you do have uh, people from different angles um within a congregation and, and particularly in a, in a congregation such as yours where you have just more more people who come there's more opinions at play there and um we we don't have a word from the lord to say you shall you know wear a mask or you shall not wear a mask or you shall have a vaccine or you shall not have a vaccine um so so these are things that we we you know apply it, wisdom to and and try to execute the best we can with with good wisdom how much time i got two things on this, just on this particular point how we much have time a minute and a half okay so real quick there's a way that we need each other we we got to disagree with each other on this because we talked about before how we're these self-justifying machines and so i'm always going to cover up my cowardice with care i'm just being careful but really i'm afraid or on the other side, I'm gonna I'm gonna cover up my my rashness with courage. I'm not afraid to die. Well, you're being foolish. And so we need because we are experts at covering up our vices with our virtue. We need each other to call it out. No, you're afraid, and no, you're a fool. We got to be able to. So we need each other to kind of pull each other to the middle. Uh, Professor Plass, who wrote a book on pastoring in times of plague, he was talking about this last week. He said Luther, who wrote that letter. His main verses were about unity in the church, and mm-hmm. Pless said, when we were writing, we missed it. We had no idea how much controversy this was going to cause in the church, how much disunity and how much backbiting. And he says, I could see now though, this wisdom of Luther looking at these verses like, be of one mind and, and uh, do, let there be no divisions among you, because the great temptation is that the devil will will have us grab a hold of our opinions more hold on to our opinions more tightly than we hold on to the word of god and that is a recipe for division in the church mm, yeah well said well that's going to take us to the end of the show thanks for uh, tuning in to this edition of table talk radio where the points are like oh there's so many opportunities here
where the points are like the revisionist history of the no martyrs in the church, where the points are like <laughs> someone from the CDC saying, just trust Thanks me. Thanks for listening to this edition <laughs> where of the Table Talk Radio. Table Talk Radio where the, is where not the points for are, Please consult I mean, there, your pastor before where the points to Table are Talk like, Radio. Side effects may include nausea, vomiting, headache. The Ministry hallucinations, of Truth. <laughs> Where the points are like your social credit score in China. Where the points are like the fact checkers on Facebook. <laughs>